0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Bonnie knows when you plant something, it keeps on giving. Growing from friend to neighbor to community. Generations of gardeners have trusted Bonnie for fresh, healthy vegetable and herb plants. Rely on Bonnie for quality plants, help, and support. Bonnie, gardening with you since 1918. BonniePlants.com
2: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more.
3: Good morning. You're listening to In The Drink on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli, and today we have a very special guest. I uh, I have to admit that uh, I've been extremely excited about today and uh, maybe just a little bit nervous because uh, uh, this is someone I I very much look up to. Um, I read his column in the New York Times on a weekly basis and... uh, I was uh, very excited to also purchase his new book. Actually, my girlfriend, Alyssa, uh, was able to get it from me even uh, just before I, I was able to purchase it from myself. Uh, it's Eric Asimov, and his new book is How to Love Wine. Um, it is just a fantastic book. And uh, Eric, thank you so much for being on the show. Thrilled to be here. Thanks. <laughs> uh, so, Eric, uh, please tell us, first of all, why did you think it was important to uh, write a book um, to, to instruct people on how to love wine?
4: Well, it, it seems intuitive, right? You know, everybody loves wine, and yet I, I talk to people all the time who are uh, confounded by wine, intimidated by it, made anxious by it, and this is this is nothing new. The industry knows all about it, and I wondered why this was so. And it's really a, a long story, which is the substance of the book, but the short answer, answer is that we convey the idea that people really need to be uh, connoisseurs before they can simply enjoy wine. They have to learn how to describe flavors and aromas. They have to know the the grapes that go into wines. They have to know the the barrels used to age the wines, the soils where the grapes grow. Um, We send them to wine classes. We send them wine texts. And what's missing in, in, all, in this very hyper-rational approach to wine is a, uh, developing an emotional connection, which is at the root of um, enjoyment. Anything we do, we connect to it emotionally. And so this is not a, a how-to guide, but it tries to reverse that equation, and, and that's why I called it how to love wine.
3: Right, I mean, I guess, uh, I guess, I'd imagine you're not the biggest fan of, of point scores. So you don't look at a flower and say, "Wow, that is a ninety-four <laughs> point flower." I really enjoy that. Flower. Well, I
4: mean, you can understand why people are drawn to them. There, there are so many different choices. And, you know, you you go into the store and you've got that wall of bottles, and you've never heard of them, and half of them are in foreign languages that you can't understand. So, uh, points cut through that, but. Um, I think very often they they uh communicate erroneous information about wines they They put completely different sorts of wines all on the same universal scale and so if you're you're comparing an eighty five point wine to the ninety two point wine you're always going to go for the ninety two point wine if if you're approaching from a position of ignorance. but there are so many situations where that eighty five point wine is better than the ninety two point wine. And if an ordinary consumer compares the two and, and they don't prefer the 92-point wine, they, they think something's wrong with them.
3: Right. I mean, I could imagine a, a, just a very simple, for instance, like a 95-degree a day in, uh, in August in New York. Do you want that 100-point Bordeaux or maybe a $10 Prosecco, which is going to taste better on that day? You know,
4: that's a, <laughs> there, there are so many different examples like that and i mean that's maybe a little bit more obvious but um you know wines that are easygoing wines that are that are for uh every every day young fresh vibrant wines uh for some reason on on the 100 point scale they always end up lower than the you know the big robust tannic uh jammy sorts of wines and and uh Maybe this says more about the uh, subjective tastes of the reviewer than it does about a, an objective ranking of wines.
3: Well, I mean, I have to agree also with your, with your first point about uh, people feeling like they have to uh, know something about wine in order to enjoy it. it. It's so funny. You know, in the restaurants, I hear all the time, well, I'm no connoisseur. But I think I kind of like this. And you don't hear that about Bolognese or you know, or chicken, like we're kind no of sore, but how do you make your chicken? it's but for wine, people really feel that they need to know something. Why do you how did that happen? Why do you think that happened?
4: Well, you know, I think there's a a sense of obligation that comes with it and, and partly because it's uh our culture has used wine as an emblem of, of, of civilization, you know, you're uh, you're an educated, sophisticated person if you know something about wine. And, and conversely, it, it also uh, uh, makes fun of people who know something about wine as snobs, you know, so we, there, we look at it uh, uh, two ways. Um, but, you know, there's, there's uh there's another element uh, to that. Uh, we've also created this uh, fearful situation, you know, where there are, uh, there's an entire library of books, uh, how not to embarrass yourself mm-hmm. uh, uh, by choosing a wine, 10 things you need to know so you never make a mistake. And, and we've turned wine into this really uh, kind of scary process where, um, you know, you, you're subjecting yourself to the judgment of, of people all around you.
3: It's true, you know, it's so true. I was at a an event last night for uh, the University Settlement. It's a it's a charity event I do I do every year and uh, I, I really believe in, in their mission and what they do. Uh one of the best things about doing these kind of events is that you get to mingle with the other small aides as well as the, the, the guests who are who've spent quite a bit of money to for charity. And uh one of the small was telling me a story about anytime she gets a group of guys and there's clear that one of them is the host and he is uh, not sure with the wine list. And uh, if he goes up to the bathroom or she could pull him aside, she'll say, hey, choose this wine. This is why you have to choose this wine, and this is what you're going to tell your guests about it. And so this host always feels this insane pressure to to impress with his knowledge of wine. And then in, it's inevitably, at the end of the meal, he'll always come up to her and be like, Thank you god you saved me. <laughs> I looked great. Like that's amazing. Well see
4: that's why they say great sommeliers are also great psychologists. You know, they can they can read that emotion.
3: Yeah, and so uh, one of the things that really struck me in in uh in the book Um, And it's something that that I talk about a lot with our servers and and the other managers when selling wine is I I really don't like to tell guests what wines taste like. Um, I always feel like if you you tell someone it tastes like uh, a specific flavor and they don't see the flavor – uh, then they, they might feel really self-conscious about that. And in in your book, you wrote that um, you, you went, took a really strong stance against tasting notes in general. You said that at their very best, tasting notes were useless, and at their worst, they were pernicious. So uh, where did this come from? When did you – because – Tasting notes are part of the, you know, when you get into wine, you learn tasting notes. So when did you come to this realization that you, you hated tasting notes?
4: Well, I, I mean, that's exactly the point. Why do you get into tasting notes? I mean, what's the point of them? Um, you know, what other, if, if we talk, if we compare uh, cuts of steak, for example, you're saying, you know, do you describe the, the porterhouse? Well, there, you know, it, it has this uh, uh, funky, beefy, meaty tang, but the other one has uh you know, a, a slightly more refined element. You know, I can't even think of words to describe those sorts of flavors. And yet we've developed this whole um, uh, vocabulary for describing wines, not just in, in general terms, but in precise, uh, mi- minute terms. And I've really never seen anybody choose a wine because it ta- this one tastes like blackberry and that one tastes like red strawberries um but you know you feel that you have to talk about wine mm-hmm. in that way and it comes very unnatural uh, naturally uh, to people it's a it's a learned skill And, um, you know, if you look at the the history of these things, it's really a a shorthand for professionals to keep track of their own impressions about wine. You're tasting uh, dozens of wines at a time, and you're keeping notes for yourself. It's not a way to communicate to vast numbers of people about wine. And if you look closely, it really doesn't tell you anything important about a wine. You, You can describe a wine in more general terms. You can talk about the the structure, uh, the characteristics. Is it more fruity, more savory? Is it uh, heavy-bodied, light-bodied, acidic, tannic? These things are helpful, much more helpful than saying it it tastes like uh, guava jam or, or, you know, uh, some kind of tobacco, which is really only a a, a reflection of of one's own uh, creative imagination.
3: And especially, I think, the, the worst culprits are when you come to these really... Obscure taste. I I'm I, I don't like any kind of. Uh, I'm, I'm with you I, I'm not liking any specific flavors. But if it's something that's really obscure, I think that just adds to that the whole uh, lack of approachability that that the wine industry is known for.
4: Well, there, there's another reason for it because where where these tasting notes were developed, uh, really um, in consumer magazines, where they're talking about dozens, if not hundreds, of of wines, and and they're all. Um, you know, group together, and how do you how do you differentiate uh, between those wines? Um, you know, if you were just to talk uh, in general characteristics, the reviewer might get tired of of constant repetition. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, that's what you really see. You have very um, minute differences in in wines that are are not reflections of of myriad esoteric aromas and flavors, but are really um, uh, reflections of of more general characteristics. And, um, you know, by, by uh, conveying the idea that you need some sort of special personal equipment, you must be a super taster to be able to detect all these, uh, you know, fractional differences. I I think it's a way of... um, uh, maintaining the authority of the critic and keeping the consumer uh, consumers in their place.
3: Right. If you say something tastes like blackberry jam with authority and you're so sure of it, that that puts you at a different uh, a different place from. from oh, your-
4: oh, you don't see that? Yeah. Oh, well, okay, there must be something wrong <laughs> not with me.
3: Um, and so, in, in the book, you also uh, say that you're you're not a big fan of uh, of blind tasting. Um, you think that this is not the most useful thing. However, you do uh, participate in blind tasting uh, at the panel. But the one thing, uh, I have to admit, the the day that I went to, to do a panel was one of my happiest days I've been uh, Hope anytime there was an article on Dolcetto or Lambrusco or or anything Italian or that we might serve at Anfora, I Forest, like, oh, I wish I was on that panel. Uh, but the, the I, had, I had done other kind of tasting panels where I was always the last one to finish. They tasted 50 wines and I was trying to keep up and, like, I don't know, uh, keep it. And here we tasted 25 wines and I was the first one. And I was like, oh, wow, like, oh, we're actually. Paying attention to all of the wines—that's what's got. we're going to pay attention to all of them.
4: <laughs> you know, I, it's uh, I, I'm conflicted about um, blind tastings because uh, there are certain there are certain instances where it can be educational, where you're just where you're trying to train your own uh, palate uh, or your own sense of 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 looking and analyzing wines. But um, you know, I think the the bigger problem is that it. It conveys the idea that wine is something that can be measured objectively, like toasters or, you know, cars and consumer mm-hmm. reports. Uh, you can say this car goes zero to sixty in in ten seconds, but you can't taste uh, fifty wines before lunch and 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 say that you've nailed each one of those wines because good wine, good wine in particular, is always changing and evolving. Um, you know, talking about wine depends very much on context, and and for most people that includes food, uh, you know who you're the people you're with, the the, the season, uh, your own mood. When you're talking about a blind tasting, the context is is, is the 49 other wines, which is is very unnatural, um, and you're really kind of ignoring important cultural information that can help inform uh, you about. A particular wine, because I think really good wines are are cultural expressions. They're not just isolated flavors and, and aromas in a glass, but they uh, convey uh, something about a, uh, the place where the grapes grew, the people, the heritage of, of this people, the time and history, and and all of this is very. Important to understanding good wines.
3: Then why don't you taste uh, not blind when you when you taste so the twenty five wines? Why not say this is the name of the wine, the grape, the producer um, for all of those wines?
4: Well, you know this is something that uh, we discuss, but at the same time. Um, the power of the blind tasting. Blind tasting is very powerful uh, culturally itself, and you know I, I deal with a with a, an institution that has its own ideas, so I'm not really always free to to decide how I want to proceed. Mm-hmm. But um, you know that's something to to think about in the future, and something I think about.
3: Right. I mean, what we tasted was uh, we did Slovenian wines. Um, and it was a really interesting tasting because there they there were Slovenian white wines, and uh, they were all, all different colors of white, different shades, uh, intensities of white, and we didn't know what what the grapes were. So I thought that it, it on a certain level it really did put those wines on a, on a level playing field. Uh, but at the same time, there were wines that were so different from each other that we were uh, that that we were comparing, um, but. But I found that to be a good and interesting and, and enlightening way also just to get the general feel of a region, of a place. What are what, What's going on there?
4: Yeah, you know, I, as I said, blind tasting can be a very um, interesting exercise for, for professionals. It can be a fun game at home. Um, but, it, you know, it it's not the be-all and end-all. Right. Uh, sometimes you might learn something after a blind tasting that changes your, your idea and um, you know, I'm, I'm not one who thinks that uh, uh, we're all subject to uh, such a, a high level of bias that, w- that consumers need to be protected from that. I think we're, um, what we're doing is, is uh, uh, avoiding or, or keeping ourselves from the sort of knowledge that can help inform our judgments about these wines.
3: Yeah. I I completely agree with that, but we're going to have to take a, uh, just a quick break. Um, when we come back, I'm going to ask you about a subject that is near and dear to my heart about wine in restaurants.
2: Listening to the Crime Blues by the California Honey Drops on HeritageRadionetwork.org.
1: something it keeps on giving growing from friend to neighbor to community generations of gardeners have trusted bonnie for fresh healthy vegetable and herb plants rely on bonnie for quality plants help and support bonnie gardening with you since 1918 bonnieplants.com
2: You know HeritageRadioNetwork.org is a member-supported nonprofit organization. If you like what you're listening to, go to our website and click that donate button. Become a member and get special discounts, invites, VIP treatment, t-shirts, and more. Support us in our mission to bring you the freshest food content in the
3: nation. And we're back on In the Drink on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm here with Eric Asimov, the chief wine critic of the New York Times and author of several books. His most recent one is How to Love Wine, A Memoir, and Manifesto. Um, Eric, prior to uh, becoming the uh, chief wine critic for the New York Times, I, and by the way, I would love to be chief of something one day. <laughs> what a great title. You know, I don't,
4: I don't have any but, other wine critics to rule, so it's, uh, it's a little bit... Um, of a mis mislabeling, but
3: <laughs> but uh, it's it sounds great nonetheless. Uh, so, prior to becoming uh, the the chief white critic of the New York Times, you uh, you founded and wrote uh, the twenty five and under column. You had reviewed restaurants. Um, one of the uh, the criticisms that 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 I have, and I think a lot of uh, people in the industry have of the current restaurant reviewing scene is uh, that a lot of times people don't write about what 's going on in the wine list or, or the beverage program in general I know there are some reviewers who um, don't don't even drink when they, when they go out or don't you know order order a cocktail and you see in New York restaurants are spending more uh, time and effort uh, with with sourcing interesting uh, spirits and, and wines and you know there there are restaurants that uh, employ the some of the best uh, bartenders and beverage directors, but this seems like a part of the restaurant reviewing scene that has been kind of left out. Um, do you agree with my statement on this? And, and if, if so, maybe you have some insight as to why, as someone who's been working in, in journalism for such a long time.
4: Um, I, I would say yes and no. I would say that, um, you know, for me as a consumer, uh, obviously the, uh, the wine list is very important. Um, but I don't need to know a whole lot about it. You know, it can be covered in a, in a sentence or two and, and sometimes is, in, in, in the Times at least, in the little box that accompanies the review. Um, I, I think that the, uh, you know, when you're reviewing restaurants – What's singular about a restaurant is the, is the menu, the food, the cooking, uh, the pacing, the service, and, and wine is, is part of that, of course, but you can generally, because the wine is not produced there, it's just sort of gathered, um, you can summarize that, that gathering process very quickly, and um, I think sometimes people want m- more attention paid to it than it, than it really requires.
3: Some people like me is what you're saying uh but sometimes i find that it's just completely uh completely ignored and and you know you you
4: want as a as a reader you want to have a sense of of what to expect is this going to be is this a uh a creative wine list is it is it a dull uh list is it is it an all-american list is it uh you know show some sort of uh, of in-depth uh, uh sense of discovery by the sommelier um how important is it to the restaurant these these are important things but um you know i i, I remember in the old days they used to uh, uh cover wine by uh, mentioning two bottles on the list, and and that always seemed kind of useless to me.
3: I agree that that doesn't anyone can have a good bottle on the list, but to 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 store and serve and and be able to talk about those wines, I think requires a little bit more effort than just choosing one good bottle. Um, all right, well, I, I I think we might agree to disagree on this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what what is your feeling? Um, as to as to how the restaurant wine uh, scene is right now in New York, where where what's your your finger on the pulse uh, of of where it is and where it's going?
4: Um, you would not believe how great it is right now. I mean, uh, you know, when I uh, I've been in in Manhattan for thirty years, uh, om- almost thirty years at the New York Times, and um, you know, back in the mid '80s, uh, you know, wine. Wine lists were were terrible, and they were still much better than they were ten years before that. Um, you know, this is, it, right now it's the the greatest time in in history to be a wine lover because we have such a tremendous diversity of wines available to us, and and nowhere is that more true than in New York City, and and nowhere in New York is that more true than in on, on wine lists in, in restaurants. They're just. Incredible, and part of that is because we have such a uh, a passionate cadre of, of sommeliers who, um, you know, are are putting great wines onto the list and care so much about it. And and obviously, uh, consumers care much more about it too. I mean, I go to restaurants all, all the time, and uh, you know, you see every table in a restaurant has a bottle of wine on on the table at dinner at least still working on lunch.
3: Well, that's, that's true. And, uh, you know, to, there's so many things I want to say, uh, (laughs) um, that, you know, as, as a a wine drinking, uh, country, we we're now, as you know, we drink more wine than anyone else. You see, you see wine on all the tables at, at the restaurants, as you said, uh, but still people feel this insecurity and they, they don't just let themselves just truly enjoy it. How do you close that gap? How, what what do we need to do to let people let their guard down and just absolutely love and enjoy and appreciate it?
4: Well, you know, that was the, the reason I, I wrote the book, because we have this uh, gap between this wonderful uh, diversity of wines available to us and, and this uh, sense of anxiety and, and intimidation. First of all, I, I think that's... Um, I'm getting the sense that it's a little bit generational. I think uh, young people... Um, uh, feel this uh, anxiety a little bit less. And, and one of the reasons is because of the uh, democratization of wine via high-speed Internet. Mm-hmm. There are so many more uh, uh, opinions about wine available, and, and people feel a little bit freer to form their own opinion rather than having to um, you know, uh, uh, compare their ideas with one or two dominant voices. Um, but the other thing is... Uh, the, the people on on the internet, uh, sommeliers, I, I think is very important. Uh, wine merchants. It, it's very important to watch how we talk about wine. It's very important not to fall into the the tasting notes speak and uh, you know the the focus on on uh, great wines at the expense of really good daily sorts of wines. And uh, you know paradoxically. The, uh, the fact that so many benchmark wines from Bordeaux and, and Burgundy are, are now out of the price range of ordinary people has, in, in a sense, forced people to go exploring and uh, discover different sorts of wines. You know, the, the wonderful wines from all over uh, Italy, uh, Spain, um, new wines coming from, from California here in, in this country, uh, the wines from, from Eastern Europe. Uh, it's it's like this whole world of of wines that have been made for years uh but are now just we're able to uh to discover them and enjoy them in a way that we never were able to before
3: mm-hmm. yeah and when i with with all of my beverage programs i've I've sat down with the the managers and we've written a uh a mission statement for the beverage programs and i feel like this is an important thing when you're not relying on just the flavors in the glass. You it, it requires you to know some of the backstory of the wine, and saying that that backstory is something that is important. To what extent do you feel that not just the structure of, of the wine and, and the way it tastes, but like that actual the the backstory, who made it, what's the culture of of the wine drinking there? Um, I I I put a huge importance on on that, and I think that that comes well, through you know you i think
4: i think that's really important and that's what i mean when i say wine. good wine is an expression of culture mm-hmm. you know it it we want to know uh where did it come from uh who made it uh what is the what does it represent about the community and the place it it comes from um you know it's very important though to to differentiate between the the culture of the wine and the the marketing story uh, on the commercial end uh you know the way of of uh, uh, selling wine that has uh, been su- so successful over the years, because the winemakers themselves and the big companies know this, and that's why they try to, you know, construct the pastoral uh, image of of wine. So you have to separate what's what's real about the wine, what's uh, and what's a marketing construction.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So you've been at the New York Times for almost 30 years. Uh, you've done a couple of things. It's crazy, <laughs> and I'm only 30 years old. And you're so. only 30 years... You started it very young. <laughs> um, you taste wine all the time, taste wine every week. Do you Do you ever get sick of it? Do you ever say, ah, oh, this week I am... Uh, I know you did a couple of beer panels, but it's really been mostly wine.
4: Yeah, I mean, that's... You know, I, I'm not sick of it. I love wine. Uh, I love food. I love restaurants. I love cooking. Uh, and I love... Um, the way all of these things bring people together and so it's never it's never just one thing i mean i came to wine at, uh, from a food background mm-hmm. and i came I, and you know one of the things i love about food and wine is the community it it creates around a table and um you know it's the whole uh the whole ensemble that i'm after i don't want to separate any uh element of it
3: yeah can you tell us just about a, a a recent just time where you were you were just feeling you're having a great time with wine wine just contributed to to that ensemble and it does not have to be a you know in in the book you you wrote about a really enjoyable uh formative time you had with a bottle of baranger white zinfandel which was Shocking for me to read, but uh, I I remember it and, uh, and understand it. Is there have you had any with that, like that by that? the way was
4: uh, you know when I was in graduate school many many years ago. <laughs> right, right. Um, it, <laughs> could it's you been, could you
3: love Berenger White's Infinel now?
4: You know it's it's been so many years since I've I've had a, a bottle. i I'm, I fear that I I would focus now on the uh, confectionery aspects of it and, and that it might taste a little bit artificial. Mm-hmm. To me, Uh, you know, back then, I just remember having it with a a particular meal and and just having a great time and and thinking, you know, this is this combination
3: works so well. So maybe is it possible that actually... It, it it's this opposite thing that's happening when you learn so much about wine and i found this with myself recently that i was tasting wines that were made by larger companies that probably give a lot of joy to a lot of people but knowing that they were making wines in the millions of bottles like that that took it away from me
4: well absolutely i mean i think you know your consciousness rises i, I can remember many years ago and certainly as a teenager you know sitting around with fast food burgers or whatever and having a great time. But because you enjoyed something at one point in your life doesn't necessarily mean you're going to enjoy it again. I think uh, that would make me sick nowadays. Right. And, uh, you know, because of what, what I know about uh, the, the practice of raising that, that food. And, um, you know, I, I, I think wine, we have to think of wine as we think of food. We have a very uh, heightened consciousness about where uh, food comes from, the importance of of, uh, humanitarian, uh, raising of animals, uh, locally grown. Um, And I think we have to think about wine in the same terms. Wine that's made industrially um, with all sorts of additives and things like that has to be in a different category from wine that's that's. Made essentially as an agricultural product.
3: Mm-hmm. That's right. I mean, it's it, it is crazy that there are so many things that are allowed to be added to wine, but there is no ingredient label on it.
4: Yeah, and um, you know, I was very happy to read that that Paul Draper at Ridge Vineyards, you know, mm-hmm. very important California uh, winery, is now going to uh, list all the ingredients on his label, uh, as as does uh, Bonnie Doon and Randall Graham. I think this is great, and I'd like to see more wineries do this That's
3: right uh just a little uh, self-promotional plug we're gonna have a uh a randall graham uh bonnie dune dinner at la Pico next uh next monday he's always uh i think we might be sold out but it's it's uh it's gonna be really really fun he's always an, an interesting guy he has lots of uh insight.
4: fascinating guy and he has a lot to say
3: he has, he has a lot of great things to say um wow Eric, I can't thank you so much. I feel like I could, I could ask you a ton more questions, but, uh, we are running, uh, we are running low on time. Um, I have to just, again, give everyone a recommendation to read How to Love Wine. It's a memoir manifesto by Eric Asimov. Um, and I, I look at your, your weekly columns as, uh, uh, required reading for for me and and the people in the industry but i also feel like you're giving you're giving a voice to a lot of the sommeliers in the in the industry and who are who want to look at wine as something that is more approachable that that is uh it's there for it's the sole purpose of it should be and 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 is to to provide more enjoyment it's it's a perk of life and we shouldn't take it so seriously to the point that it takes away from that um so I, i can't thank you enough for being on the show
4: my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
3: Thanks, and uh, thanks to all of you for listening. This has been in the drink on HeritageRadioNetwork dot org.
2: Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork dot org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network.